Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come to before you and to study the word and ask you to just guide and lead as we, as we examine this prophecy that is very interesting and goes forward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 9, third and verse 21. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about that time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and, and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am come, now come to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication and commandment came forth, the commandment came forth that I come show you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon my people, upon your holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of the sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the beginning going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the, to the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks and the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome tr troublous times and after 62 weeks shall messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war of desolation are determined and he shall conform uh, confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of that week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of the abomination, he shall make it desolate, even into the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolation. All right, we have this prophecy, and this prophecy is called, and if you ever hear it talked about, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And so we're going to look at this, and we're going to start at verse 21 before we get to the 70 weeks. It says, While I was yet speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So Daniel is in the midst of his prayers. He is studying, uh, praying, because he is, if you remember last week, he's realizing that the 70 years of captivity is coming to an end that Jeremiah predicted, that they would go into captivity for 70 years. And so he's reading, reading Jeremiah, and he realizes that it's been 70 years. And we talked last week about his prayer for his people and how he interceded for the people that God would forgive them and bless them. And he confessed the sins and said, you know, we're going to, it's time to go home and prepare us. And so while he's in the midst of this prayer, Gabriel, the angel, comes and touches him. And he, it's about three in the afternoon. That's the time of the evening oblation that when the temple was, was being offered, uh, had the sacrifices offering. And he was told, Daniel, I'm here to explain a vision to you. And we're going to see this vision. And in verse 24, it says, Seventy weeks are determined upon my people, upon the holy city. I want to, we're going to talk about a Hebrewism here. When the Hebrews talk about weeks, frequently they are not talking about seven-day weeks. And this is obvious that they're not talking about seven-day week here. They are talking about a week of something, sevens. Okay, we see this in 
Genesis, when Noah's taken the animals on, he says, God says that you, he, you are to take of the clean animals by their sevens. And so there means there's seven or 14 of the clean animals that went on the ark, not just seven, you know, so the sheep and things that they could offer, there were 14 of each one and their mate. And so if you look it over, it says by the sevens. Huh? Yeah. Uh, but here he says seven by uh, 70 sevens. So we have to kind of figure out what sevens he would be talking about. Okay. Seven weeks is only 50 days, and that's not even enough time for the decree to go out and for them to go back home. That's less than a year. Seventy. Yeah, 70. Or 70, <coughs> 70 weeks is just a year and a half. That's not really time for anything to happen. And Messiah is going to come, if you, if you saw the very end. Um, if it's months, 70 months is only six years. Again, we don't have Messiah coming from the time Daniel's praying to in, in months. So if we go 70 years. sevens of years, we have 490 years, which is going to take us right to the time that Jesus shows up. Okay? So in this, it's 70 weeks, and we, could, we in our language would put of years. Okay, so, and this is, because it can't be anything smaller, and if it was 70 weeks of decades, we're going way out <laughs> beyond where we're at now, so decades is too big. Okay, does that make sense? If it's 70 weeks of decades, you're talking 70 times 7, 4,900 years from the time Daniel's praying, and that <coughs> takes us way beyond anything that we want to look at. So... Here we have Daniel's given a vision that there's 70 weeks, and we're going we're gonna to agree that it's years. Uh, I've read a couple people that wanted to make it months, but there's no way it could be months, <laughs> in, in my opinion. And what he's looking at from these 70 weeks of years is that his people will finish the transgression. Okay, that's the easy part. They're in the, they're in the punishment of their transgression right now, and they're, they're, at, the, they're at the end of that one. Okay, and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Who makes recognition, reconciliation for iniquity is Jesus. He pays the, the price for the sin and he's the one that is the reconciliation. And to bring everlasting righteousness, which again we get by accepting him. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And then it says in verse 25, now... Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be, we're going to say 69 weeks. It breaks it up into seven weeks and 69 and 62 weeks. And the streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince shall come and just that shall and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof will be with a flood and the end of desolation so what they're saying is just to help you out <laughs> daniel's getting a vision that the messiah is going to come in 69 weeks of years which is going to be 300 uh, 483 years from the time that he that that it starts and it says the time starts in verse 25 
at the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, the handout I gave you, if you look at the top left, there's some information there that we want to look at. There were four commands to Israel, to the Jews, to go back to Jerusalem. So the question is, which of these four is the starting place? All right. The first one is King Cyrus. In 539 BC, he told the Jews they get to go home. Okay. This one cannot be the right one because if you add 483 years to the 539, you don't even get to AD. Okay. So that first one is totally irrelevant. It doesn't, it is not a valid date to start the restoration of Jerusalem. Plus, it had nothing to do with Jerusalem. It was just Jews go home. Okay. King Darius in 520 BC told the Jews that they could go back home and build the temple. But they were not to build the city at that time. They were just to go build a temple. Again, if you add 483 years to 520, you don't, you don't get to AD. So the second one under Darius is not valid. We have two degree decrees from Artaxerxes. The first one is in 457 BC, and that command is that they rebuild the city. And in 445, he gives permission to rebuild the walls of the city. All right? We have different people who will start at different places on this decrees. And we're gonna, we're gonna go through, and I wanna, we're gonna explain, there's two primary beliefs on the dates. And I'm gonna go over both of them. I'm gonna tell you the one that I don't agree with as well, and, and why I disagree with it, and, but it is the primary and the one that majority people hold, okay? Now, on the right-hand side of the top, in the, in the book of, of the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us a lot of people when he gets ready to tell us about John the Baptist starting ministering in Luke 3. The first one is Tiberius, okay, Caesar Tiberius. He reigned from 14 AD to 37 AD, but he was a co-regent from 12 AD, okay, and this is going to be kind of important to get. Pilate reigns in that area from 26 AD to 36 AD. Herod run is in charge from 11 BC to 44 AD. Philip the Tetrarch runs from 4 BC to 34 AD. And a man named Licinius the Tetrarch runs from 26 AD to 29 AD. Now, actually starts in those times. And it says that he starts in the 15th year of Tiberius. So that means he either started in 27 AD or 29 AD that he started his reign, which means that John the Baptist starts ministering in the wilderness between 20, either 27 AD or 29 AD. I hope I'm not losing everybody. It's, I know this is very detailed oriented, but this whole, the explanations for this whole prophecy get very detailed. All right. There is a man from the 1800s called Sir Robert Anderson. He was with Scotland Yard. And he endeavored to prove the date that Jesus entered into Jerusalem under the triumphant entry using the 70 weeks of Daniel. 
All right. He gave a, uh, an answer on this. He, he decided, because the Jews have a 360-day calendar, he decided to multiply 360 days by the 483 years and come out with 173,880 days from the time that the decree was given to the time that Messiah would enter into Jerusalem. This is my first problem with his statement. He said the 360 years was a prophetic year for the Jews. So he's saying that the year was not a year. And if you remember what I keep saying over and over again, the rules of hermeneutics say that you take things literally unless they can't be taken literally. So to say that the, the 69 years does not re equal a real year, I have a problem with. Okay, and we'll get into this a little further down. Um, because the Jews do have a 360-year uh, calendar, but every two, three, or four years, they add an entire month to their calendar, okay? So that they bring it back into <laughs> sync. Because all of their festivals, the, uh, the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and, and Pentecost are spring festivals. So that, and they're always on the 15th of Nisan, which means that Nisan has to fall in between the period of April, uh, March and April, okay? Do they, what month did they give an extra month then? The first one. The first one. Okay. So when they added, you have two first, two first months. Oh, okay. uh, and they just, and they've got their rules on it, uh, on when they do it, and, it, and it's just very complicated. So I'm just gonna say that either the second, third, or fourth year, they add a whole other month, which brings the calendar back into alignment. And, so, that would be neat if we did that. <laughs> <laughs> so my first complaint with his calculation is it violates basic hermeneutics and creates something that doesn't really exist except in his writing. Now, he then goes into the Gregorian calendar, and if you don't know what the Gregorian calendar is, that's our calendar. That's oh. what we use. Okay? Oh, it was made by a priest called Gregory, and it's called the Gregorian calendar, and it has BC, uh, BC and D, AD on it. So to make his numbers work under the Gregorian calendar, he says that there was only 476 years at a regular year, which equals this number here that I gave you, 130, uh, 173,740 days. Over that, for, under, uh, over that 476 years, there would have been 116 leap years, so there's an extra day added. And then he goes from March to, uh, gives you the date from March 5th to the end of that month as another day for 24. And he comes up with 173,880 days in the Gregorian calendar. Which leads to Jesus dying in, in the 33 AD, which gives him a Friday crucifixion date. The other problem that he has with this number is, if you note, that he started at... 445 BC, which is a year after Artaxerxes gave the command to go build the walls. And you want to keep in mind that when you do these math problems, there is no year zero under the Gregorian calendar. 
you went from 1 BC to 1 AD with no zero, no zero date. So his numbers don't add up and, and from when I've looked, from what I look at. He should have gone, uh, it would have been a totally different number. Now, having said all of this, most Christian teachers teach Sir Anderson's answer. And the reason they do it is it gets him into Jerusalem on the, on a, on the days long enough before, the, before to die on a Friday. And it is the only time you could get him on a Friday Passover other than 30 AD, which is too early by his calculation because it wouldn't fit, fit his math. Uh, have I lost everybody completely? Basically what Sir Anderson, Robert Anderson was trying to tell us is that Jesus came into the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on, I think it was April 6th, uh, 33 AD is what he said. And he's having, you know, the big, biggest problem is changing the proclamation date so that he could have a 33 AD death because he needed a 33 AD to have a Friday crucifixion. I believe that Jesus died on a Friday because that doesn't give you three days. It, but it has always been the standard answer because early on in the church history when they didn't understand that the, that the Passover was a Sabbath day, they decided that if he died the day before Sabbath, it had to be a Friday because they didn't know the Old Testament. It tradition from about 400 AD that Jesus died on a Friday because Saturday is Sabbath. Again, it's because they did not realize that Passover he would have died the night before Passover because that's when you killed the Passover lamb and the Passover lamb was eaten during the night, which would be the next day, and that was called Passover. And Passover was, was and is, in the week that Jesus died, he, uh, he, Passover and Sabbath would have been in, in going on and there would have been two Sabbaths that week. But Sir Anderson really worked hard to get a Friday Sabbath into his numbers, which is why he changed the proclamation date to 44 instead of 45. If he left it at 45, he would have had a, a 32 date, AD 32, and it couldn't have been AD 32 because that Passover was on a Sunday, which meant that Jesus would have been in the grave for almost a week. So Anderson changed the 445 to a 444 so that he could get a 32 AD with his calculations. So he, he manipulated his numbers, and there, there, there'll be people who will give you strong reasons for believing that this is an okay thing, and I'm not gonna go into that. I just don't, they're you know, giving you a number of reasons. It violates hermeneutics, it violates uh, a number of things what he has done, okay? So I have great problems with his proofs. Mass majority believe his Most people believe Anderson because he's got an entire book, it's called The Coming Prince, it's uh, 150 some pages where he shows all the reasons for his calculations and tries to defend his changing of the, the date and all of these and, and why he thinks there's a prophetic year which doesn't exist anywhere except in his writings. So I mean we got a number of, number of issues. He's made a lot of assumptions that, that I don't agree with. I learned long ago if you make bad assumptions and you start with the wrong information you end up with the wrong information, okay? And when I first read this, I didn't agree with it. I didn't, you know, and I didn't have an alternative answer. 
I kind of calculated from that and I came up with an alternative answer and found out I'm not the only one with that, that's come up with that alternative answer. We're going we're gonna to examine the alternative answer that I worked with. The alternative answer leads to the baptism of Jesus being the start date. And we know, and this is why I gave you these long lists from, from Luke of people. We know that Licinius started ruling around 27 AD to 29 AD. And that's just because of all these dates. He had to, 15 years after Tiberius started, gives us 27 or 29, whether you talk about Tiberius's co-reign regency or his solo regency. Now, if you take the 27 AD, it's kind of interesting because you take Artaxerxes' command to go rebuild Jerusalem in 575, and you add 483 years, you come up with 27 AD. And again, remember, there is no year zero. So when you first look at that, you're going to tell me that, no, I came up with 20, I came up with 20, you know, <laughs> 26, but there is no year zero. That's make it hard. It makes it hard to do math on the, when you're talk, talking across in the A, BC to AD because of that no zero. Because the math doesn't, you have to calculate the no. All right, 27 AD matches when Licinius started ruling. Okay, within that, within that time. I've already shared with you that I believe that Jesus was ministering for four years. And the reason that I believe he was ministering for four years, again, just in case you don't remember, is because he was the, the real Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was put into the family and examined for four days, and then it was killed. So I believe that Jesus was the Passover lamb. He went to the children, the people of Israel, and was examined for, in this case, four years. All right? Uh, which gives us a, that the fact that Jesus died on 31 AD, 31 AD, Passover, crucifixion would have been, well, Passover would have been on Thursday with the crucifixion being on Wednesday. He was in the grave Thursday, Friday, Saturday, resurrected on Sunday, which is what I've always believed. And now I've got numbers to show me that what I believed is probably right. Now, am I going to be dogmatic on this and say everybody has to believe this calculation? No. But it fits into a lot of places a lot better. And you're not having to do all this gymnastics and, you know, how, how can you have a Friday date when Jesus rose in the, you know, de from the dead on Sunday? And they'll tell you, well, he was in Friday, Saturday, and partial part of the day on Sunday before he resurrected. And you get into all kinds of crazy mathematics to try to get three days out of a, out of a Friday crucifixion. So it, for what it's worth, this is, the second one is what I believe. And this is a very minority opinion. I'm going to tell you that right now because it violates so many things. It violates the idea that he died on a Friday. It violates you know, all these other things. And, the, and the, one, the one that's cardinal to everybody is that Jesus died on a Friday, okay? And I've never believed it. It never made sense to me. And Sir Anderson does all kinds of gymnastics to get a Friday date, including the changing of the decree, which is historically given, and creating a very odd <laughs> Uh, calendar that is his calendar that, he, that doesn't exist anywhere else. And then it says that, well, by, by the way, the, the 483 years are really only 476 years. So uh, lots of problems with the majority view. But most people hold his view, number one, because he was smart. 
<laughs> he was a very smart, intelligent man. But it also gets them to a Friday crucifixion that they have to, that is viewed as an absolute must have. Okay, you've got to have him die on Friday because they don't understand the scriptures as in the whole. So I give you this for what it's worth, study it, look it at it, you know, but I'm seeing it being this way. The question that answers a number of questions in verse 25 it says know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem which again fits the 457 because that's what they were told go build Jerusalem and that was given to Ezra all right the other one is the wall and that's where again that's another place where Anderson starts out he starts out at a weird time and then he doesn't even use that date from its historic historically correct date. And so he goes unto the Messiah shall be seven, uh, 69 weeks. Now they break this 69 weeks up in, and it's kind of interesting, seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven weeks, 49 years is what is believed to be the time it took Jerusalem to be rebuilt, including the walls. Okay, so it fits. If you go back all the way back to seven, uh, four, uh, 457 and you subtract and go to 408 BC, that is what his, his, historically is given as the date for the completion of Jerusalem with the walls. Okay, and then 69, 62 years beyond that brings you to the baptism of Jesus using the dates that I give, you know, that I give. All right, uh, the, the secondary, second one. And so, we just want to look at this and just understand, I mean, there's controversy. I mean, anytime you start dealing with controversy, and this one's controversial in its past, okay? And then Jesus died, was resurrected, and the church period is taken over. And we know there's one more week of Daniel yet to come. And if you remember our study from Revelation, there's a seven-year period in Revelation where the Antichrist is going to rule, and it'll be trouble for them and that is where almost everybody believes that the, the 70th week is. There's a handful that say the 70th week took them to, you know, I don't know how they get to 70 AD, but they say the, se the last seven days took them to, to, the, to the destruction of the temple, or most of them will go to the death of, of Stephen. Uh, but none of that makes sense. To me, none of that makes sense. It very much seems that it says the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Or his people and so we look at this closely and it says and after 62 weeks the Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof with a flood and the end of the war of desolation so we have a couple Jesus died and the church age started okay on um, Pentecost 50 days after he was crucified, the church started. That was the day that the Holy Spirit came down and the church actually started in, for, in its formation as far as everybody's, you know, most everybody's agreed on. And the, past, and the Pentecost, the church started and God started dealing with Gentiles. And for a period of time, Israel has basically been put on the shelf. I mean, not completely. God hasn't forgotten about them. But he says, now is the period of the Gentiles. And for almost 2,000 years, or a little over 2,000 years, God has been dealing with 
Gentiles. And that's us, for the most part. And Messiah was cut off, but not for his people, for us. Because we are the ones that are going to be his people. And shortly thereafter, the temple was destroyed. Just as it said that the city would be destroyed and the temple would be destroyed and, and the Israelites were cast out of Israel in what's called the diaspora, where they went and get scattered all over the Roman kingdom. And that was the second time that they had been scattered. Remember, the first one was during the Babylonian captivity. Many of them were taken to Babylon, and the rest of them were pushed all around the Babylon, Babylonian Empire. And so we see just what it says. The Messiah came, he got cut off, and, his, and the temple was destroyed. And we see just that very end. Now we have the War of Desolation coming, and if you remember the book of Revelation, we're going to have the big battle at the end, of, at the end when Jesus comes. And they will gather up all the forces to fight against Jesus. And he just binds Satan up for a thousand years. Okay? And we see this whole thing that he comes and that we see the, 70, the 70th year of Daniel, 70th year of years, <laughs> uh, or seven, seven years, let's make it simple, <laughs> will be that end time that Revelation talks about. So this is a very interesting picture that Daniel was given. He's going, I'm going to tell you exactly when Messiah is coming. Messiah, who's always been waited for ever since Genesis 3.15, where Adam and Eve were told there's one coming that will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise his heel. And that's at the very beginning. Yeah. And that's at the very beginning of all things. And all through scriptures, it talks about the Messiah coming. And everybody's been waiting for the Messiah. And it says he's going to be cut off. So this explains why there's this gap. Now, most, many Jews and many people don't believe, you know, the people who don't believe that Jesus was Messiah was because he didn't establish the kingdom, which was the part that they expected. And, we think, and we've talked about this. The, the disciples, every time Jesus talked about dying and, and being crucified and resurrecting, basically all they heard was blah, 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 because it didn't make sense to them. It didn't, you know, what do you mean you're going to die? You know, you're coming, you're the Messiah, you're going to set up a kingdom, we're going to get rid of Rome, and we're going to be your, your right-hand men, and, and, and we're going we're to rule Israel. And so they never understood this whole idea of the suffering Messiah, even though Isaiah 53 explains it, uh, Psalm 22 is a picture of it. Uh, many scriptures talk about the Messiah dying, being cut off, and then coming back later on. But it wasn't understood. They didn't see the great big valley between the two events that we're seeing of thousands of, you know, thousands of years. And this is one of the things I tell people, even as we look at the end times, we need to be careful that there may be some valley somewhere out there that we're not aware of because of our interpretation of the, of the information. So I say, hold anything about the prophecies very loosely. <coughs> Because the Jews had a hardcore, this is our eschatology. Messiah is going to be born in, in Bethlehem. He's going to come along and he's going to make Israel the country that it's supposed to be, the center of all worship and the center of all government, and he's going to reign forever. All right? That was their eschatology. 
And this is why an eschatology is in study of end times, for those who don't know that. And that was their viewpoint. So when Jesus claimed to be Messiah and he died, even, the, even his disciples were very discouraged. If you remember, they went hiding because they were afraid for their lives because what happened to all these false messiahs? They were killed. And their followers were killed. And Jesus, as far as they were concerned, especially when he was still in the grave, had failed in what he said he was going to do. All they could, we, basically what they were saying is we pinned our hopes on the wrong man. We're going to be just like all these other messiahs that have been coming around and, and be executed because that's what had happened. As we know, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and all of a sudden they're getting their confidence. Okay, here's a risen leader who's already dead. Now we can understand. And then he starts explaining the whole picture that there's going to be, be time. And even then, you always want to remember the, the disciples had always expected Jesus to return in their lifetime because he was supposed to come and start his kingdom. And they were ready for his kingdom to start at any moment because they still held on to that Messiah. Messiah is going to start the kingdom. And he's got to rule. And this is why Revelation is out there. And it shows us how it is going to end at the end times where Satan is going to give him the troublesome time that he's talking about here, the hard time when he claims to be Messiah. Very careful how we look at things. Anytime we're talking about the future, we need to be careful because we only know what we know. And it's not a step-by-step that says, in this year, in this year. Nobody knows. When this, yeah, because Jesus said no one knows the, the time. But now we, he does tell us that we can know the season. And this is something that's very important for us because I hear this all the time. Well, everybody's been saying that Jesus is going to return in their day. And I'm going, yes, that's true. But nobody's had a point where they could see a cashless society uh, good being called evil and evil being called good. You know, we're right there where everything's coming together and we see the season coming together. Do we know the exact day and time? No. And we can't know the exact day and time. And I love the example of a woman who's pregnant and going to have their kid. Okay? You, unless you have a C-section that's a scheduled surgery, you don't know when that kid's coming. You know, you, you, the husband gets his call from, from his wife saying, I'm in labor, we got to go to the hospital. And sometimes you go to the hospital and you get sent home. And you go to the hospital and you get sent home. Then you go to the hospital and you come home with a kid. <laughs> but you don't know exactly when. You, you, know, that, you know that it's going to be within that nine months, you know, it, toward the end of the nine months. But you don't know the exact day and time and minute of it. And that's the same thing for Jesus. He says, the word, we can know the season. We can know by the signs that he's given that we're close. Could it still be 100 years from now? Technically, yes, it could still be 100 years. Could it be 1,000 years? I don't think it could be that long, but yes, it could. You know, in reality, it could be. I can't imagine how bad things will get in that period of time. Uh, but it could technically be 1,000 years from now. We look at the Jewish calendar, and the Jewish calendar is at 560, 5600 or something. So if you want to, many people believe that when the Jewish calendar hits 6,000 that we will, that he will come because that would be six millennia and then go into a millennia of rest. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. I kind of I kind of see some sense in that kind of a statement. In which case, we're some 400, <laughs> 400 years away from the return of Christ. But I don't know that that's a very true statement. And there may be some lost time in their calendar somewhere. 
because their calendar supposedly goes back to creation. But we don't know, and the, and the key is we don't know, okay? And all we know is we're getting close. And every day that we live, we're getting closer to the return of Jesus. A day, a day, and yeah. The, a day closer. A day closer. And there's an old adage that I learned, live as if Jesus is coming today and plan as if he's not coming in our lifetime. Because so many people have planned that he's coming in their day and, and then they don't have plans for long, long term. Because if Jesus wants to interrupt our long term plans, then that's all fine. He can come and interrupt our long term plans. I don't care. But we want to look at this. And this is the prophecy that people will look at, that it takes this time for things to happen. And Daniel was shown that Jesus would return. So either one of these times pretty much shows us when Jesus returned. Now, came, well, not returned, but came to this earth. Uh, whether you were Sir Anderson's who put you right there at 30, you know, uh, he'd actually be at 32 if he used his calculations with the right proclamation date, but he couldn't use a 32 date because that would have meant he died on a Sunday and then would have resurrected no, nowhere near Sabbath. <laughs> and would have been resurrected on a Thursday, which doesn't fit anything in scripture. So, And the only other date that Anderson could have used for a Friday, and I put down on the bottom, it was 80-30, which would have been a Friday, and that's a little too early for him to get it to work into his numbers. So we look at this, and, you know, and I hope it is not too technical. I like this kind of playing with numbers and everything. But Daniel was told 70 weeks, 69 when Messiah would come and be shown. And so it really comes into when did Messiah get shown? Anderson likes it to be the triumphant interest because that's the day that Jesus actually took the title of Messiah and allowed the people to worship him. If you remember the triumphant entry when they put down the palms and they, they, yelled, they were yelling out Hosanna, which means save now. And that was when he actually took the title of king and Messiah, which Messiah only means anointed one, so I don't know why he has to make him the king to, to be accepted. And it's the day that you said, the prophecy said that your, your king will come riding into, in, in on a donkey. See, that's what to me is so amazing how he comes on a donkey and not like a chariot or a, you know. Well, see, there's a good reason for that. If a king came in on a white horse, he was coming in as a conqueror which is how Jesus will come into Jerusalem on the second return. He comes on the white horse as a conqueror into the land. This first one, he came in on a donkey. The king riding in on a donkey is saying, I'm coming in peace. By coming in at the triumphant entrance, entry of Jerusalem, he was coming in as the king of peace. When he comes back at the, for the millennial kingdom, he's coming in as the conquering warrior that says, this is mine, I'm taking it from Satan and it's mine now. And so that's the difference between the two. And that's the reason between, for the difference of the two. It goes back into the customs. of a conquering king came riding in on a donkey, he was saying, I'm coming peacefully. I'm not, I'm not coming with harsh disciplines and everything. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, you know, had him hauled off, they came in on, a, on the horse and, and put him under submission. And we see this over and over in that age time period how they came in was determined what, how the king was coming in either peacefully or as a warrior but Jesus was still introduced by John the Baptist as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world and God's voice came down this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the 
Holy Spirit came down. This is the one that's anointed. And because he came down and, and with that anointing, the Messiah, the anointed one, is the one that comes in. And again, remember, Messiah means anointed one. Christ means anointed one. Okay? So when we use Messiah or Christ, they both mean the same thing and they are a title. Jesus' name really is not Jesus Christ because that was Christ is a title. It's Jesus, the anointed one, is what we're saying when we say Jesus Christ. All right? So we just bring these little points out. That his, How about when they say Christ Jesus? They're saying anointed Jesus. Okay. Because most people in our language use Christ as his last name, and that is not his last name. As a matter of fact, he would have been Yeshua ben Yosef because they treated him as Joseph's son. So they would have called him Jesus, son, uh, uh, Joshua, son of jo uh, Joseph is what they would have called him in his day. Because as far as they were concerned, Joseph was his father. Even though he never claimed Joseph as his father, he claimed God as his father. But they were never going to call him Yeshua ben Yahweh. <laughs> would not have been the name that the people would have used for him. Uh, so, but he came, he, he came at the right time. He confirmed the covenant with many. And at the end days, it's going to be confirmed and he shall and this is, gets into the, in, into the Antichrist coming in. The false Messiah comes in in the middle of the 70, at the, on the 70th week and tricks Israel into believing that he is the Messiah. The Antichrist is going to rebuild, make, get the temple rebuilt. He's going to start the, restart the sacrificial system, which is the Jews are waiting for. You know, the Orthodox Jews are waiting for the sacrificial system to start back up. They just can't, they, they're longing for it. From every report I've heard, they've got all the tools rebuilt. They're, they're checking the, the DNA of the, of the people who claim to be Levites and for finding Aaron's sons to be the priest. They're being taught how to do the sacrifices. They're being readied for all of this sacrifice and they're looking for that day that the sacrifices will start again. Because they know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And so the, the Orthodox Jews right now live under the idea that you do more good than bad and, and try to please God. And on, on the Day of Atonement, they go into deep reflection and try to be repentant for their sins. It's all works that they're doing right now, but they're looking for the day when they can offer the, the sacrifice. They can place the sacrifice on the altar and know that the blood has been shed to cover their sins and follow God the way that they remember him being taught. Then. Being an, actually being an abomination because Jesus has already been the sacrifice lamb. So he's already the finishing of the sacrifice lamb. So these offerings are going to be an abomination because the fulfillment has already occurred. And in the middle of that 70 week, 70th week, Antichrist stands up and says, I'm God. I'm, not just, I'm just not the Messiah. I'm God. And all of a sudden their eyes are open and they realize that they've been tricked. That's what the abomination is. The abomination of desecration is, in the reality one, will be when Satan stands up and declares. Uh, Antiochus, be, in, before Christ, went into the temple and declared that he was God, that Zeus was God, and slew a pig in the, in the Holy of Holies. So many people will say that that is the abomination of desecration, and it was a desecration of the temple, but it is not the abomination of desecration as far as we understand because the 
because Antichrist will stand in the, Satan himself will stand and say, I am God. And he will be the one that totally desecrates the third temple. You mean Satan will say that I am God? The Antichrist, yep. Oh. So that's the desolation. That's the. Uh, now, An Antiochus was a type of the Antichrist. Okay? He was very evil, very much fitting into these things. Hitler was a type of the Antichrist. Satan has had many people prepared to be the Antichrist, to be his emissary uh, going forward. And one of the pastors I heard, and it, was very, it made a lot of sense, I had never thought about it, Satan doesn't know when Jesus is returning either. Okay? So he always has to have somebody in the wings ready to be the Antichrist. All right? So there's probably been a whole bunch of quote-unquote Antichrist, and we're right. told... We're told in the scriptures that there were many antichrists, and even today there were antichrists, like according the, to John. Uh, Isaac's are like antichrists. Some of them could, some of them yeah. could be the potential antichrist. Uh, there's all kinds of people out there that could be. Because they're killing the Christians. Yeah. Right. Well, because they're evil enough to yeah. be. They're evil enough to be. So we want to keep in mind that Satan doesn't know when Jesus is returning, so he's going to have lots of people who could potentially be the antichrist, and they're going to be evil and have that tendency and given enough power will be very evil. And so we're seeing all of this going on and we see here that the consummation of the age will be when Jesus returns. And at that point, he sets up the dominion for a thousand year reign on this earth. And that will be inhabited by all those who make it through the tribulation period and do not take the mark of the beast, which I don't know how many people that will be. It won't be a lot. And those will be the ones that go through the millennial kingdom. And that will be a very great time because it says in the scriptures that if you don't live to be, you know, the man who dies at, I think it was three or four hundred, will be considered a child <laughs> during, the, during, the, during that period. We will be with Jesus in our glorified and redeemed bodies, ruling with him, un, may, having no touch of, being, of, of the sin. And remember that during this thousand years, there's going to be children born, and people will die, and there will be normal life going on. Now, the thousand years, is it going to be like a thousand years? I mean... The Bible says it's going to be a thousand years, so I believe it's going to be a thousand years. I mean, like, we live, I'd say, just a hundred years, so that means we're going to live with people. Well, we will live because we've been, we've yeah. been ra yeah. raptured. We will live forever. But a thousand years, just as it was in the beginning where people lived 900 yeah. years that will be restored. That life, that longevity will be restored. First hundred's the hardest. Yeah, well, and yeah. that time it won't be the hardest. It will be just a period of time. The first hundred, we're still a little baby. Yeah, during, during that time, your first hundred, you're just starting. You're still making <laughs> the bottle. In, in the millennial kingdom, you're just starting after the first hundred. So, we have all of this, and this gets you into all kinds of different, I mean, you're, if, the more you study this, the more you get into some different, different viewpoints and everything. And I just wanted to show you, you know, show you the traditional, you'll know the traditional, and you can figure out whether you want to agree with it or not, and show you what is the untraditional that I agree with, which isn't the first time, you guys know very much, I tend to agree with the untraditional, like he didn't die on a Friday, he died on a Wednesday. And this just gives me a mathematical proof that he died on a Wednesday rather than a than a Friday. It just gives me a backup for what I already believed. It makes logical sense to me. Yeah. And sometimes I think, well, who am I to argue with the brilliance of Sir Robert Anderson? But I just look at his numbers and nothing makes sense in what he presents. 
You know, he's introducing a lot of things. I have only skimmed his book. I have never read every single page of his book. Uh, he has a defense. He has a defense for everything that he presents. I just don't agree with the pieces that I've read. But I do have to be honest. I'll have to, to really, truly understand his book. I'd have to read every single word of his book. But I just look at his numbers and say, how do you change the proclamation date? How do you come up with this idea of a year is not a year? How do you, how do you come up with this prophetic year? But you know, and there are people that say, well, there's not, there's no gap there. Messiah came, and then you know, and I've read one that said that it, that the 70th year stopped at Stephen when the Jews finally had killed the first Christian, Christian, and therefore the 70th year of the Messiah stopped. You know, so take it for what you want. Uh, if you want to go that route, that's fine. That's I don't see how the rest of this stuff comes in that this, you know, at 34 AD that anything stopped on the sacrifices because the sacrifices continued in the temple. So there's a few things that don't fit in. For all, what it's worth, here's your, here's your information on the 70th week of Daniel. And I hope I didn't lose you completely in all of this. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the precision that you give us in, in your numbers. That when we look at what you give us, that we can see the truth in all of this. And we ask you just to go with us as we go forward today and, and bless us in your son's name. Amen.